0: Welcome to another great episode of Stick Like Glue Radio. I'm your host, Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach, and this is the podcast to learn how to create your dream business now. Uh, I'm really excited about this week's show. I'm talking to a uh, quite an entrepreneur. Um, Craig Hanley is his name. I'm, gonna inter- I'm just going to read his bio because I-, I can't do no more justice than his bio. I'm quite intrigued myself. Craig is an entrepreneur, a public speaker, a musician, a philanthropist, and life enthusiast and carries an undefeated record while wearing the sumo suit in around 15 matches in his four trips to Necker Island. He's met Ringo Starr. He's bumped into Paul McCartney before security escorted him back to his table. In Calgary, he had a uh, a scarf blessed while meeting with the Dalai Lama shared a kiss with Richard Branson. I, I think I figured that out. I checked out some YouTube. He is the uh, 85th civilian ever to jump out of a plane from over 32,000 feet. In South Africa, he dove with great white sharks and rappelled down Table Mountain. He has hiked through the jungles of Malaysia Drove the Baja 500 in Mexico, and it goes on and on and on. Now, from the entrepreneurial perspective, he's an expert in direct response marketing, culture, and core values, sales, brand expansion, strategy, and making people's dreams come true through his new Dream Trust program. Craig's the CEO and founder of Listen Trust, named the number one in business products and services, 27 overall in Inc. magazines. 500, uh, which employs over 1,000 employees and has cumulatively done over $1 billion in sales in the last 10 years. As a crazy side note, he's written and produced songs for all types uh, and even opened for Coolio. And in 2010, he actually turned down a record deal because of the tour schedule and pay cut. Craig, my God, do you mind if I ask how old you are? And you can say no, but I'm, I'm man, when have you lived no, a that's long That's fine.
1: I think, I think I'm
0: 45.
1: I think that's what I
0: am. That's <laughs> 45. It could, okay. I think, it could be 46, but I think I'm 45. There you go. So I'm curious. um, are you the I always like to ask people the entrepreneurial gene Did it start with you? Did your parents or grandparents sometimes it skips a generation? Um, where did you get the uh, entrepreneurial itch?
1: I think it started with me. I, you know I was always interested in the side hustle. In other words, I always wanted to try to figure out how to make money in different types of ways. And so when I was a kid I had a paper route. And uh, and I was doing the weekly paper out and the Sunday paper out, and I actually made more money doing the Sunday paper out by itself. So why get up seven days a week when I could just get up one day a week and make more money? So I basically found someone to do my weekly paper out. I think I might have given it to my little brother, and he still paid me an override for taking my route. And then I just go out on Saturdays and make the uh, the, the bigger money. <laughs> I mean, on Sundays on the Sunday paper. And so I was always, you know, that was a cash business in those days. So I'd collect the cash and pay a portion of it to the paper. And uh, whatever I could get for a tip, you know, was there. So when I was a kid, I started using my skills of telling jokes and playing the piano to try to relate to my customers. And I found I'd get, for Christmas, I used to get like $20 from each customer. And it was just awesome. Um, and so I was always working on a side hustle. When I was in college, I worked a night audit job, but it took me two hours to do it, and then I could sleep. And so I basically slept six hours a night and got paid for it. And then I did uh, basketball games, officiated, umpire baseball, and refereed soccer. Well, soccer's a timed sport, so I could do two to three games a day, and they paid $70 a game. And then I started DJing and disc jockeying, and in the evenings I could make a couple hundred dollars DJing, and I could do a wedding on a Saturday and make another few thousand dollars. So I was always trying to use my time in ways that would allow me, you know, the freedom to be able to work out, to go to school, to do what I wanted, uh, and I kind of called it the side hustle. So I've always had that entrepreneurial gene.
0: Yeah, I like that. It's a great name for a book, by the way, the side hustle. <laughs> but um, when did uh, when did you start your your current business? And how long? I guess I read uh, ten years you've been doing that.
1: Uh, listen, trust. We are in our Twelfth year, I think, maybe eleventh year, twelfth year, and uh, and I actually started with a with a parent company before that, where I was consulting in the call center space for about seven or eight years.
0: Call center, interesting. So it seems like you've always from, uh, which is interesting. A lot of people that just have no trouble always uh, taking care of themselves, making money. I mean, sales is you know right at the root of all that. So. So the call center was really the first thing you got into?
1: Well, selling newspapers was where I started, and I actually won a trip to Disney World twice by getting the most new subscribers. But when I was in college, I read this ad that says sport-minded individuals, you know, make a lot of money. And so I ended up going door-to-door selling insurance for two and a half years, and I was in the top ten in the country with this company called Combined Insurance. And then from there, I was trying to – they only pay you residual income for five years, that combined, and then it stops. So at two and a half years, I looked at what I was making, and it was only around $86,000, and I was working really hard. I've never been afraid of work. I was probably working 80 hours a week. And uh, and so I said, this is the most I'm ever going to make here. And I literally quit like the next day and started working for Aflac, which pays forever. And uh, I I went where I feared the most, which is a motto I live by, go where you fear the most. And I tried to open the state of New Hampshire and work with the unions, the AFL-CIO, and it, it was a process, and I waited like six months going through the process and recruited a friend of mine to work, and he ended up taking over as the district manager, and I ended up having to go to work in a call center while we were waiting for these accounts to open. And he actually ended up opening all of them and became one of the top guys in all of aflac you know um selling insurance or, or this accent insurance Well, i ended up in a call center and for me where i'm used to seeing 25 people a day i was taking 300 phone calls a day and it was like oh my god this is so much fun <laughs> and uh, I like became leverage, one of the, huh? yeah i became one of the top guys in the company uh like overnight i i was you know an instant success i guess and uh I started writing sales scripts for the company, then I started training on those scripts, and then other people who had call centers started to hear that I was a competitive advantage, and they started recruiting me to do some work with them, and then I started consulting across the country, and I was helping other people improve the quality of their their brand and, and improve the results of their performance, and at some point, somebody said, why don't you do your own center, you know, and so I said, well, maybe I will. <laughs> The interesting twist is we decided to do it in Spanish, and I don't speak Spanish. And so we did, we built the center to serve the U.S. Hispanic market, and that's the business that started out, you know, doing zero in revenue. And uh, I remember putting my credit card in the ATM machine and having it come back declined. So I was in Mexico for another week. And uh, next thing you know, it, three years later, it was doing $15 million.
0: Wow. Holy smokes, that's amazing. So is, is your call center, where, where is it physically located?
1: Physically in Hermosillo, Sonora, Mexico. We're about five hours south of Tucson. Okay.
0: Very cool. we take cool. calls Thank for
1: the Spanish market, and, and really we're 50% English now, because I didn't know, but there's a couple hundred thousand people here that actually have spent more time in the U.S. than in Mexico. So we've been able to do really well with English here, too.
0: That's awesome. Now, do you... Um, I think I saw. Do you live in Maine, or do you have a summer home there? Or I, li-
1: I live. I live you- in Maine. Maine is home.
0: Very, very nice. Yeah, we're 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 currently in Rhode Island and um, having a good time. We're my wife and I uh, moved on to a boat a couple months ago, so we're gonna just uh, float around the East Coast of the United States for a couple of years and, and see how that goes.
1: Yeah, that's um, awesome.
0: Yeah. So tell me about your business. When you started, um, what made you choose? Did you just see, like, the, I mean, I'm sure the Spanish-speaking uh, market was probably underserved and you probably projected that's going to be uh, continuing to grow.
1: Yeah, we thought, you know, at the time it was great and it has grown. I think right now it's actually a lot of Hispanics are starting to, you know, be able to, as a generation, uh, you know, the, the older generation ages and the population ages we're seeing a lot more traffic go back to English. So our Spanish um, has actually shrunk a little bit in size. Uh, or as it's grown, it's kind of remained stable. So it used to be we'd have one or two clients doing the volume we're doing now, and now we've got 30 clients doing the volume we're doing now. So it's it's shrunk while it's stayed the same, which is why, you know, we started to do bilingual, and which led us to doing English. So it was kind of a, a little bit of a story, but... Um, we've essentially tried to separate ourselves from the other call centers that are out there by building a lifestyle business. Uh, our first goal is to teach people here how to be happy. And so when we hire people here, the first thing we do is we train them, and in our training we say congratulations, thank you for giving us an opportunity to work with you. Our first goal is to spend time teaching you guys what your life should be about, and we're going to teach you how to quit. And, and so we spend time with them going through their dreams. We have six pillars, um, you know, health, uh, wealth, um, time off. Um, uh, we've got, you know, money, which they've got to worry about their their money. They've got to worry about relationships. Um, <clears throat> we have a pillar called happiness. And the idea is to find out what these folks dreamt of when they were younger. None of them wanted to be call center operators. What do they want to do, and how do we use that to motivate them to help me build the best you know, call center in the world, because that's my dream. <clears throat> their dream is something totally different, and so we literally find out what their dreams are, we circle the top three, and then we hire a life coach that works for them to make their dreams come true, and then we tie the way that they get calls and the way that they get paid based on their performance at work, which allows them to, you know, our top 20% get a dream accomplished every three months. Our top, you know, 40%, but not in the top 20, maybe it takes them four to five months, you know, and if you're not one of our top performers, maybe you'll get a dream accomplished every six months to a year. But the better, the more you put into learning about what makes our clients successful and the more you serve our clients, the quicker we want to help you help serve you and make your dreams come true. But we've had people, uh, we've prevented suicides, we've had people buy homes, cars, um, we've had people quit. One guy went and started a boxing uh, company and pulls kids off the street and teach them how to box, and he comes by and checks in with me once a month and tells me how it's going, and I'm so proud of him. we got another guy who's a lawyer who was here working on the phones and decided to hang out a shingle and try to go uh, be a lawyer here in town, and uh, just all kinds of stories, success stories. We just had a group go do a hike uh, and climb a mountain together. And they're planning on having a skydiving group go out and a bunch of, you know, a hundred of our employees are going to go jump out of an airplane together. Uh, so it's a true dream culture which attracts people that we want to have work for us, people who are motivated, who are happy, who are energetic. And so uh, we have a line out the door of people who want to work for us, and uh, it's created a great environment for us and a great environment you for know. our customers.
0: You know, when you think of call centers, and I, I don't know if this is going to sound ignorant of me or not, but you usually think low-end job, extra job, part-time at night, but it sounds like you've fixed that piece of it, and so I'm, I'm guessing your turnover is, is not only probably non-existent, but you probably have a line of people waiting to work with you.
1: Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's created a good environment for recruiting and a good environment for people who want to work with us. You're right.
0: Very cool. Wow. So, Craig, when did um, – I'm also interested in your bio because I'm a, a, obviously into direct response uh, copywriting. Where did you – when and where did you study that? I mean, was that like a Dan Kennedy, Gary Halbert? When did, when did that come into your, into your world? I've
1: met Dan, I've met Dan Kennedy, but, uh, and I, I've read all the Gary Halbert letters. So what's funny is I didn't even know about those guys. I was the guy who was doing copywriting on the back end of sales scripts before the Internet, you know, came forward. So I know how to write copy and know how to draw people into it, but I kind of was doing it on the phones. And, and I had all these rules for how to write a sales script, and it was personalize and disarm in the greeting, you know. And disarming was something I had to train on because a lot of people know how to say, hey, how you doing? Glad to meet you. How's the weather? Or how about them, you know, how about them patriots? or, You know, but that's, that's, that's um, personalizing. But disarming is when you answer a call and you go, Oh, you're you're calling from Florida. I was once driving down Alligator Alley and I saw this alligator eating a little boy, and I got some great pictures. And having the woman go, "What? I'm just kidding. You know, <laughs> that didn't really happen. I just wonder if you're paying attention. That's disarming, you know. And that takes yeah. people out of their comfort zone too, and and, and creates rapport. And uh, and so we started off with that step. We we wanted to ask some questions to build the need. We wanted to build benefits. Uh, part of building benefits is using first and third person in the same sentence, really bad grammar. When you're reading a script, if you put punctuation and periods in, people tend to stop where the periods are. But if you want to control a call, mom and dad always said don't interrupt somebody until they're finished speaking. So how do you use run-on sentences and uptones and downtones and hesitation, modulation, and emphasis to control a sales call? So mine wasn't just, you know, what I was doing wasn't just copywriting. There was also the training that went along with it to teach somebody how to communicate and control a call as well. And you can't always do that in an email.
0: Somebody, um, I forget who off the top of my head right now, but the, somebody introduced you to me and said you'd be a great guest. And they forwarded an article, I believe you wrote, called Six Ways to Build a Billion Dollar Sales Machine. Um, and I was pretty interested, number two, you have give, don't take. It says, Hanley credits his success. Or actually, maybe this was written about you. Handley credits his success to selflessly sharing knowledge with a zero expectation of return. Tell me about that.
1: As you as you build a big business, right? As you build a business, you go through stages, and I think in the first stage, you talk way too much, right? And, you, and people steal your ideas, you know, and uh, and you go, oh man, I shouldn't have I shouldn't have said that. And you worry too much about what your ideas are worth. And then you kind of go through and you say, I'm not going to share any of this because people are going to steal it and use it. And so you go through this phase. I kind of, I equate that phase to the Rolex phase. You know, you're making a hundred grand a year. You go buy your first Rolex and you think you know everything and you think you're really smart and you wear your Rolex and you, you want people to think you're making a lot of money. And, uh, and so you kind of hide all of your information. But what I found is that when you are transparent, and you selflessly share everything that you've learned with zero expectations of return, that you end up getting a lot more than you give in the process. And so I go to meetings and masterminds and my approach is I've built, you know, a business that does fifteen million plus a year and I've managed over a thousand employees and we put systems in place to create effective communication to um, work within committed action, which I think committed action is, is one of the most important parts of running a successful business, doing things when you say you'll do them and get them in when you say you'll get them in. Uh, and if not, communicating what the you know what the delays are and why. But uh, I selflessly will give, I'll teach people how we did our core values. I'll give away our dream Trust program so somebody else could work with their employees, and make the same impact on their employees, and, uh, and and of course, the more you give, the more people learn from you, and you become an expert in those areas, so when somebody does need your service, you are top of mind because of all the giving.
0: I like that. You know, uh, point number three is look at major catastrophes as significant opportunities. Is that uh, is that something you learned firsthand, or is that uh, more of a philosoph- philosophical belief that you have?
1: It's both. It's mindset, but it comes from catastrophes. We were, at one point, uh, t- my business partner, Tony, and I were in Africa, and we were doing a safari. And when we left Africa, we were making 50000 a week in profit, and everything was really good, right? Halfway through the trip, one of our clients decided to bring one of their products to retail and cut their call volume in half, and all of a sudden, at that point, I think we had like 1,200 employees, and I needed about 600 because the call plane was gone. Well, in Mexico, you can't fire people without paying uh, a 90-day severance is, a, is kind of the Ooh. minimum. And so I literally would have had to come up with at the time to let go of the, For every 100 people, it was $120,000 to fire them. So um, we, uh, when they cut the business, we were losing $70,000 a week. And so That's we huge. had to kind of look at how we were going to fix that and 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 turn it around. And so what we did was we said, okay, where are the opportunities here? Well, what we did was at the time, again, it's everything is kind of different as your culture changes and your workforce changes. At this time in our life, we had one team dedicated to beauty products, another team dedicated to fitness products, another team dedicated to charity, another team, and what I did was I said, okay, we're going to actually merge all the teams, and we're going to have our best agents take, instead of 100 calls, we're going to give them 350 calls. And so because we're giving them triple the calls, we're going to cut our commissions, and we're actually going to take our, our, the amount of money we're paying, and on the front end for an order, we were paying like $2 or whatever, we're going to now pay 50 cents for an order. We're going to increase the revenue in our upsell spaces, because clients pay a little bit more for upsell revenue and average order value, And we're going to add commissions there. But ultimately, it's going to cut our commissions, you know, by 100%. So instead of making $3 now, they're going to make $1.50. But our best agents now are going to be taking 300 calls instead of 100. So our best agents are going to make more. Our worst agents aren't going to get any calls, and they're going to make less, a lot less, and they're going to quit. And it took us, you know, we had the first week 20 people quit, the second week you know, 30 people quit, then 50 people quit, and uh, and we didn't have to pay a severance when they quit. And so we literally brought our workforce down, and another funny thing happened is because we started putting our best agents on more calls, performance significantly improved. And so our clients started buying more media than they were buying before because of the increase in, in average order value and, uh, and close rate and performance overall. And so, next thing you know, we had our best fourth quarter ever. We lost four hundred and seventy thousand dollars before we got back into the break-even numbers. But in the fourth quarter, we did almost two million in profit because of the change that effectively turned the company around and put us back into a positive, you know, positive uh, space for the year. I think that year we ended at like two and a half million in profit for the year, and it was after a five hundred thousand dollar loss in the middle of the year. Wow, so we've had a lot of things like that happen. You know, we had a client yeah. not pay us eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Big, big flower company hired us for Valentine's Day and had us hire four or five hundred people, and then decided not to pay for January and February because even though their contracts said they were paying for hours, they determined they only wanted to pay for talk time. And so, and so I'm like, well, your talk time bill—I paid four hundred thousand in payroll. Your talk time bill would be one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. It doesn't—that wasn't what we agreed to. Ah, we'll talk to our lawyers. I'm like, oh, Oh, my God. God." Yeah, and I had already paid payroll. And so all of a sudden, uh, I was looking at our bank balance, and it was zero, and I was $600,000 into my credit line, and I had to take out a $350,000 14% interest loan on the side trying to figure out what we were going to do. Well, again, what's the opportunity in this downfall? I had a lot of extra bodies. I had 400 people that I had put through training that were really good in English, and they had really good sales skills. And, geez, do I have clients that have English call volume that might be able to peel off 20% of their volume for me? So that might help. And, uh, and so eventually we, we started taking more and more English calls. And before you know it, within, God, I mean, if you look at our P&L through that year, it was like in May it was showing negative 950. I mean, we were worth less than, you know, the <laughs> we weren't worth anything. And then by the end of the year, we had made a million five. Even with the client, and you know, we settled with the client for like a third, a fourth of what we, what they probably should have paid us. But we needed the cash, and we just focused on what we could control. Focus on the positives. Focus on what you can control, and focus on where the where the lining, where's the silver lining in all this? And there's always a silver lining. You just have to dig for it and find it.
0: Yeah. Um... It is really fascinating. I, I can only ask you one more question. I want to ask you about. Uh, I, I guess it's pretty obvious you're an adrenaline junkie. I mean, jumping out of a plane <laughs> thirty two thousand feet, swimming with great white sharks, and you know, going to Necker Island and stuff like that. Is, is did anything scare you, and did you do it anyway just to push through, or do you just are you kind of fearless with what you do?
1: You know, um, I would say that I've always wanted to do all those things and. When I went through a divorce, you know, uh, it really made me think about where I wanted to go in my life and what I wanted to do. That's when I wrote the two rap albums and ended up opening for Coolio in front of 13,000 people and getting a record contract and, you know, hanging out with Snoop and meeting Akon and (laughs) all that crazy stuff. Uh, But I was at Necker for the first time, and uh, even Branson jumped off this cliff on Mosquito Island. And I went to the edge of the rock, and a lot of people had jumped in front of me. And I was scared to do it. I was like, ah, I don't know if I want to do it. And what's interesting is I, I backed away and I didn't do it. And it was this huge regret. And I was like, you know what? I am never going to live with regrets. I am going to be the first to do everything. And so what happened was I started to push myself to the front of the line to be first. And it just then it, then the fear kinda of went away. And so I have done cliff jumping now. I actually jumped off a cliff. This is stupid jumped over a waterfall. There were probably a dozen rocks that could have killed me below. I cleared them by like 10 feet, but it's still a risk. You know, it was riskier than that cliff jump, and uh, I dropped into a hole in Costa Rica that was a 30-foot drop, and you couldn't even see where you were going to fall, and they're like, who wants to go first? I'm like, I'll go. I just stepped into a oh hole gosh. and just free fall down, and it was a big lake below. It was beautiful, and you swam up the other side, and and uh, same thing with you know almost anything. I, I'm like, I want to go. Put me in the cage. Let's go. And they, you know, and I've got a big personality. So the 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 uh the, fishermen, the guys who took us out, thought it'd be great to pull the chum right up over my head. So the great white's coming after it, opening his mouth, trying to bite me through the cage. And everybody got a good laugh out of that, including me. It was kind of funny. <laughs> <It helps laughs> great, great. Thanks for dragging the chum right up over my head. I appreciate that.
0: That had to be, man, I can't imagine, because those jaws, the teeth, like, they come forward, right? It's not just the open mouth. That thing's incredible. What a (laughs) machine. You
1: you missed my comment. I said, that's where I learned that the male great white sharks have two penises. I was Uh. like, wow, what are they doing with those? Apparently, (laughs) they have to swim. They have to always be fluid to create oxygen, and so they can't stop swimming. So in order for them to mate, they have to actually use two to hold themselves in while they're swimming. I was like, wow, "Wow, that's kind of an interesting, interesting concept."
0: Yeah, I didn't know that.
1: <laughs> now you Looks do. Like and the big, other thing about yeah, swimming with great white sharks is the is the bait fish, like the the fish that are coming to eat the chum. When you're in an ocean surrounded by great whites, the moray eel can fit into the cage. It, there were so many big type of fish that made me want to actually swim outside the cage with the great whites <laughs> because it's the scarier fish in your cage. Like, Dang! Geez. Nobody, nobody tells you that.
0: Yeah. Well, this has been a uh, a very fun phone call. I'm really glad. Um, I, I'd like to thank whoever it was that connected us, but I really enjoyed our conversation. I wish you continued success and keep. I don't know what's what, do, what's next for you. Any any other any other fears? You I, wrote I, wanna, I wrote a song. I want to.
1: I wrote a song. I want to put on Saturday Night Live. I want to win a Grammy. I'm putting together a children's album, which is a good category to win a Grammy in, but. Um, I think you know I'm a good networker. I think if I start to do more with the music scene, then that'll work out. I just did a uh, a marketing video for Dave Asprey for Bulletproof Coffee that he's going to launch this week, I think. And it's funny videos to kind of engage a younger audience to uh, to try Bulletproof. And uh, I don't know. I'm I'm always doing new things, you know. So you never know. Got a book coming out in awesome. November. I got the reality TV show I'm talking uh, talking to some producers about working on, and there's all kinds of crazy stuff. Well, nice said, it's an adventure.
0: Yeah. So, what's a before I let you go? What's a website if people want to connect with you more? I mean, I, I googled you on YouTube and things like that. Where do you want to send people to?
1: Uh, they can go to List listentrust.com, L i s t e n, t r u s t, and my email is craig at listentrust. And I'm on Facebook as Craig Handley. I'm easy to find.
0: Very good, sir. Well, Craig, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for being on my program.
1: Anytime. I really appreciate it. It's been a good call.
0: All right. Thanks again to Dream Business Academy for sponsoring this show. Again, that is a three-day live event. Our next event, our seventh, sure to be our seventh sold out, will be uh, September 27th, 28th, and 29th, 2017. This one's going to be New England, right here in uh, Providence, Rhode Island, where we are currently anchored or, or docked with our floating home. Dream Business Academy is a marketing event and business building event like no other. I will teach you exactly how to build a million-dollar platform for your business. Learn more at Dream Biz Academy, DreamBizAcademy, Academy.com. By the way, you get $100 off your registration when you use the coupon code PODCAST. And if you're listening to this uh, early in the summer, we have early registration discounts. And if you use the coupon code PODCAST, you'll save $100 off the early registration discount. Again, go to DreamBizAcademy.com. That is it. And um, thank you to my assistant, to everybody who makes what I do it just look so doggone easy. I appreciate everybody on my dream team. My name is Jim Palmer. I'm the host. I am the dream business coach, and I'm committed, as always, to helping you build a more profitable business faster. Until next week, another great episode of Stick Like Lou Radio. You take good care.